This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. And a lot of times when we listen to podcasts or when we talk about the entrepreneur, there's all this like, oh my God, it was amazing. I, look at me. Look at, look at me. I'm Gary V. But they don't talk about actually what were some of the massive failures that you've had along the way. And those are the more richer areas where you can actually learn. And those are the, the areas that are more interesting because it's where you have to face yourself. And that's where you learn the most about yourself. The world is full of amazing people. And once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Humans. The journey of the entrepreneur is very much about mindset and how you interact with change. It's an up and down journey that has a lot of turns. My guest today hosts the worldwide acclaimed Fuck Up Nights here in Southeast Queensland. These are the evenings where entrepreneurs get the chance to tell others about failure and everything that went bad so others can learn and move on. For the past two decades, my guest's focus has been to create, accelerate and leverage strong, inclusive, innovative, sustainable and effective organisations and businesses. Wow, lots of words in one sentence. I know, right? He is Israeli, Canadian and Australian, or CIA as she puts it and has lived in over five different countries. This diverse cultural background provides her with an innate ability to find common ground and connect with a wide diversity of individuals. I met this wonderful lady about eight months ago through some friends in the startup industry. We've crossed paths at many events, and I've even had the pleasure now of speaking at a last event on the Gold Coast. She currently lectures at Griffiths University, and as I mentioned before, in the entrepreneur space and a host of the fuck-up nights here in southeast Queensland. Today we get to hear her amazing story, Tia Goldstein. Welcome. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful. I have to let people know that this is actually the second time we've done this, so this might be a little bit different than the first one because <laughs> the first one actually sounded like we we're in a toilet. Which, you know, has a, a certain charm. It does. Do you know that um, I was watching uh, an interview with, um, what's his name, the guy from the Beatles, Paul... Paul McCartney? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they went to his old house and he showed... Who's the guy? James Corden? James Corden, yeah. It was uh, Carpool Karaoke. Yes, yes. Carpool Karaoke. And it was showing in his, uh, he went actually into the old toilet and he was like playing it. That's where he used to play. In the toilet. Beca- because he said that that was where the best acoustics were. There you go. The problem was that at that time our studio didn't have the best acoustics. Uh, and it helps if you turn the guest's microphone on. I've oh, learnt. Oh, I learnt my lesson, but that's fine. i got a fun fact for you. Yes. Did you know that Israeli entertainers are now taking over the world? No, I did not. Just like the entrepreneurs have been doing for the last 10 years, because obviously we get a lot of entrepreneurs come out of Israel. Yeah. Natalie Portman is Israeli. I yes, never she knew is. that. She is. And yes. so is Gene Simmons from Kiss. Yes. There you Both, go. Yeah. He actually, his, I think the Gene Simmons children had their bar or bat mitzvah in Jerusalem. There you go. I never knew. That was my fun fact for the day. That's a very good fact. And Natalie Portman won an Academy Award for Black Swan. You know, just be careful because, you know, us members of the tribe, we actually control the entertainment industry, the Mm. banking industry. Everything, really. Yeah, big conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's true, though. If it's not a conspiracy, if it's true, (laughs) surely. (laughs) Many things I can say about this. Let's move on. (laughs) Last time we met, you, you told me your life story. And I know you're not a big fan of telling people about you. You don't like talking about yourself and all that sort of fun stuff. But I'm going to drag it out of you again because it was one of the best stories that I've actually heard. No way. It is, seriously. The boat and everything. It's just awesome. <laughs> so can you give us the abridged version of your story? Like wh- where did it all start? Well, my mom and my dad, <laughs> they got together. Did they? <laughs> Bees and 
The birds and the birds bees. Birds and the bees and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, fair, fair call. <laughs> and where was that? <laughs> um, Not literally. In... <laughs> Don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's one of those things. Just because I remember you telling me that they were hippies. Yes, my they parents. Could have been anywhere. They could have. Been, I don't <laughs> really. You know this this thing all day in the back of your head. Aren't you? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Visuals. Um, my parents uh, met. Uh, they were both uh, tree hugging, granola munching hippies, yeah. and they met uh, in Canada, in Ottawa. They were both involved with uh, socialist Zionist youth movements. And they met apparently dancing or something. What's so. a socialist designer youth movement? Oh, Zionist. What's Zionist? Uh, Zionism is a movement that is all about um, belief. I mean, there's a, it's very, it's a long there's a long explanation to it, but in short, yep, um, it's based on the notion that the Jewish homeland is Israel. Okay, and a lot of it comes from the continuous persecution of the Jewish people and especially, I mean, that's part of the reason why Israel was created as a state is after, as a result of the Holocaust and the atrocities of the second world war. Um, yeah. This, I know that this is a very contentious issue and I would prefer not to do I, politics. I, no, I get, I get that. No, I don't do politics. That's fine. I got no problem. I just, I just like to know stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, okay. That's, that's fine. Mm. Move on. <laughs> So they met, they so made they met. love, and then they, they made, made you. love, and then they made me. Cool. And where were you born? I was born in Ottawa, in Canada. Okay. So you're Canadian first? I was Canadian first, correct. Okay. So the CIA. Hence the CIA. I am Ooh. Canadian first. Yep. I say A. I like watching hockey and drinking beer. They're cool. Yes. They're cool. I'm not so good on skating. <laughs> you don't need to if you're drinking the beer. <laughs> well, that, you that's know. Fine. <laughs> So did you go to school in Canada? I did not, no. Okay. No, I was homeschooled. My parents, when I was six years old, they decided that they wanted to move to Israel. They wanted to move. Well, actually, first, the first thing that they did. So you want me to tell the whole story from the beginning, yeah. right? Okay. So my parents are tree-hugging, granola-munching hippies. And uh, when I was in the womb and when I was born, they were in the process of building a ferro-cement sailing boat. In my grandparents' backyard. Okay. A concrete boat. I still, don't, I still can't <laughs> fathom that. Ferro cement. I'm with you. If which you're is from aerated the, cement. Which is like from the 70s. It's quite, you know, it's quite the... So my first memories when I was like, you know, how smell has a very strong yeah. association. So if I smell, there's a specific epoxy that is used on boats. Yeah. If I smell that or if I hear... Um, if I hear, you know, the 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 sound of the the mast, yep. I yeah, I, I immediately go back to my childhood. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. So it was a sailboat they built. It was a sailboat, yes, and they were going to sail around the world. My dad is not the most patient person in the world, <laughs> so apparently the story is that they were um, they had to wait for some kind of international regulation inspector or something for the boat. Yeah, this okay. is all family lore, not yeah. fact checked, by the way. Um, and so they took myself and themselves and they packed everything up and we sailed down the St. Lawrence River as a first step towards... Do you remember that? I do actually, yeah. How old were you then? Um, I was four, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember sort of casting off and going, wow, we're on an adventure. That'd be I remember, cool. I remember, um, I remember seeing whales in the, in the St. Lawrence River. Um, and I mean, we, when we moved, when we got to Halifax, we actually stayed in Halifax for a while and that's where my other sister was born. Uh Um, and we lived there for three years 
And I do remember a little bit because we still had the boat at that time. So were you still living on the boat or you went ashore? Uh, we went ashore, but yeah. we, we were sailing quite a bit. So I just, I remember being, I remember casting off. I remember scrubbing the decks. I, rem- I had a cat. His name was Dingy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? And the more you think about it, the more you remember. It. Oh, wow. I yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You like telling your story now? Well, not really, no. Okay. <laughs> so we're in Halifax. Did, so you started school in Halifax? No, it's homeschool. Oh, you homeschooled the yeah. whole time? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Was that mom or dad? Um, Actually, no. It was my mom. Yeah. 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 My dad uh, worked as an electrician for quite a while. He had his own business as an electrician. And my mom um, teaches. She's an English teacher. Oh, okay. So she was, I'm pretty sure I was homeschooled. Was that where you get it from, do you think? <laughs> Because obviously what? you're an, an educator of sorts, uh, or a I lecturer. Think, well, or, I mean, I, I do many things. I think that that's... You like to teach people. You like to inform people and tell people stories. No, I don't like to teach. I like to facilitate. There's facilitate. a very big, big difference. difference. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. So when you're at Griffith Uni at the moment, what do you do there? Or you have been at Griffith Uni, sorry. So I'm doing many things. So I'm like, I'm a gun for hire. Mm-hmm. So I do many things. So one of the things that I do is I guest lecture at Griffith University Entrepreneurship. Is that not teaching? No. What's the difference? Because I don't stand in front of a class and tell them what to do. Okay. So I facilitate different things around entrepreneurship. Yep. So I help Dr. Julianne Senyard, who's an amazing a teacher professor at Griffith University who's rolling out entrepreneurship within Griffith University. She's Which is a really, really good thing. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, so I hang out with her and help her with the classes. Cool. Yeah. So are you an entrepreneur? Yes. Or are you entrepreneurial? No, I've had four companies. I started are you an entrepreneur? from I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so you're in a good position to facilitate entrepreneurs at university. Yeah, I was um, I was taught from a very young age. There were certain values that were instilled in me. So we moved to Israel. Yeah. Um, so after living in Halifax, we moved to Israel, and we we didn't, of course, we couldn't just get on a plane and go to Israel. We had to find a really unique way to do that. So um, my parents sold everything, and we flew to Europe and traveled around in a combi van for nice quite a while all around Europe. We've gone from a concrete ship. So now a combi van, that's awesome. A combi van. What a great childhood though. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then we and then we took a boat to Haifa, which is one of the main ports in Israel. And we were put in everybody who moves to Israel is put in an absorption like a cultural absorption center. Okay. Um so I remember one of my memories from that is well, my parents were looking for a place to live. Actually, no, because they they belong to a um a movement, like a, a movement. And they were there to start a new settlement. Okay. Um, so we lived in that settlement for a year, and then we moved to where my parents still live to this day. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. And the settlement, what, what do you mean by a settlement? Like somewhere brand new, vacant block of dirt, and then started from scratch? Yeah, so in, this, in the, like, the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, Israel was actually a hotbed for innovation and for um, social experiments around different ways of living. So a lot of intentional communities, I'm sure you've heard of a kibbutz. Yep. Um, so the where, so there's like, there's a kibbutz, there's a moshav, moshav shitufi, and, um, and then just a regular like city dwelling type thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different variations of that. So when I was growing up, my parents decided that they were, they were part of a small, it's called the garin, which means literal translation means seed. 
was a group of people that were dedicated towards building a specific type of settlement and they were going for a Moshav Shitufi, which means like a kibbutz is basically it's a collective society, yeah. collective society. So you don't own any land, you don't know everything it belongs to the collective. And you it's you know, it's an interesting way of of trying diff- very different. And I have very close friends who grew up in a kibbutz. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, because in like but in a tradition, not any different. No, but like, like they would experiment with different ways of also child raising. For example, in kibbutzim, so uh, the children did not grow up in a family unit. They were all put in what's called the children's house, and so they all grew up together. And they would see yeah. their parents at specific hours and specific times. So, yeah, I mean, really interesting. That yeah. that's not where I grew up. So Moshav Shitofi is like one step up from from that. Yep. Um, and it's where there is uh, communal land and communal tasks, but everybody still owns their own plot of land type okay. thing. So you have your own home where yeah. your family live. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then they felt my fa- my understanding from my parents is that they decided that that was a little too much for them. That was yeah. a little too communal. <laughs> my dad doesn't follow rules very well. <laughs> I'm going to say they're hippies. So. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so we moved to Omoshav, which is one step up from that, which is um, actually, it's it's more of an intentional community. So the focus, it's an agricultural-based cooperative, I guess is what you can call it. So you um, you have to be accepted into the settlement, into mm-hmm. the Moshav. Is it like a leader? No. It's just... Like a there's group. a committee, committee yeah, there's okay. a committee that that is that that is vo- ele- democratically elected um, and uh and then you if you're be- if you were accepted then you buy a plot of land and then you because it's agricultural based then you get a certain percentage like a certain number of acres of land and some of that belongs to the collective and some of that belongs to you okay but you still are you know you're allowed to make your own independent income you have your own plot of land you can do whatever you want and my parents did try farming for a while no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Been there. Tried that. Yeah, no. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but so those, a lot of those experiments and a lot of those social uh, social ways of living, it's just really interesting to kind of see how they've shifted and how they've moved throughout still time. still there now? Like, do they still do that same thing now? So, well, some of the kibbutzim, like there were quite a few kibbutzim. In the 80s, a lot of these, a lot of these type of structures fell apart. Uh, due to debt and due to a whole bunch of different um, reasons, mm-hmm. and so the 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 moshav where my parents still have a house and where my both my sisters still live, it's you know it's it still functions, but it doesn't function in the way that that it did function when we first moved there. Okay, so has it been? I don't know if westernized is the right word. Has it been more uh, localized? So not not as localized. It's now gone bigger, or well. I think that, you know, if you take a kibbutz, like from a financial viability perspective, there's a lot more pressures as population grows and as the desire and the need for land grows, then that puts a lot of pressures on these type of settlements. And uh, and also, you know, modernization of time and um, the need for more of an independent type of life mm-hmm. shifts and has, has impact. Um, and in terms of the, the Moshav itself, there is still the aspect of agriculture. So there still is a committee, there still is... You still are a member of a moshav, but the moshavim have, they have, um, uh, they have opened up some of their land and have uh, 
it's called like a harchava, which means like an extension. And so those are open to anybody who, any city dweller who wants to come and live in a more of a farmal community. So they don't participate as much in the community itself, which is, that also creates a lot of really interesting tensions around, you know, like this, when I go to visit my parents, if I'm driving up to like the center of the, of the Moshav, you'll still get like two tractors who are going like opposite sides and they (laughs) sit and they're like chatting to each other and you're like, Okay, it's going to take a while. <laughs> it's going to take a while. So you have like the people who have been there for a very, very long time yeah. and are really staunch, you know, salt of the earth type people and are really, some of them are still very strong socialist democracy type people, very much believe in values in an old yep. fashion. And then you have the... Um, the extension and those are people that are professionals that usually work in the city that don't have a lot to do with the actual fabric of the community itself that it's creates some, it, yeah it's yeah it, and it creates some really interesting tensions so i think that you know if i think about reflecting back on a lot of different experiences i've had i feel that a lot of the times i have been a bit of an outsider trying to fit into a specific type of living or type of community I put myself subconsciously in those situations. Probably. But that was why you were brought up. Yeah. When you think back now, like yeah. that's that's the way you were taught. Yes. Yes. And I my I think my parents instilled in me some very strong values around you know, around acceptance of of a person for who they are and and uh and for uh leadership leading by example and for um just the the strength of community and understanding what community actually means. I'm very grateful for those and curiosity. You mentioned before they were experimental. <laughs> Use the word experimental, which really intrigues me because um, were they experimental or were they like they still exist now? So obviously the experiment either went well, bad, whichever way you look at that. Do they still do that now? Like are these experimental communities still? Do they still exist? No, do they do like new ones pop up? Mm, no, not so much anymore. Okay. No, I think that, you know, Israel is number three in the world in terms of startup and innovation. And yep. I think that there's a lot of different reasons for that, that you can look at both from an academic perspective and from an observational perspective. But there was, you know, it's when, uh, after the second world war and when Israel was still under the occupation of the English, um, under British rule, and then suddenly it wasn't under British rule suddenly it's like blue sky thinking and you have all of these different immigrants from like Eastern Europe and from Western Europe and from, you know, from, from the Middle East and from a whole bunch of different, different places that are basically refugees that a lot of their families were decimated by the second world war Mm -hmm. that are, and from North America as well. And they're suddenly like, Oh, cool. We can find and build a home and just all these different thoughts and streams from like, you know, Marxism or, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and just be like, Oh, we're going to try this out and see what happens. And it was, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, you had to like clean up swamps, for example, yeah. in order for you to, to reclaim the land. Yeah. A lot of really interesting things. There is also a lot of obviously history that has to do with like displacement of the people who were there. And yes, then there's arguments around who was there first. And I just, I, I wish that everybody would be able to get along, but realistically that's not, that's- That'd be nice globally, wouldn't it? That would be. But that's never going to happen. Well. Maybe it will. I have hope. Oh, it's good. It's good to have hope. <laughs> Seriously, it's good. So you were you were homeschooled the whole time? No, 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 no. No. So, because the thing, so when you went to Israel, you were Canadians that were coming into Israel. Yeah. How was that accepted? Um, You know, another thing that I thought about was, what's interesting is to think about, so I'm actually first generation Israeli. 
even though I wasn't born in Israel. So my parents are immigrants. As in, I my parents didn't speak the language. They didn't yep. understand the culture. Mm-hmm. And I remember my first day in school in Israel. And I remember being thrown into a classroom, sitting next to a guy. I still remember his name. His name was Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> and he would... Uh, Are you friends sit- with him on Facebook? No idea where he is. <laughs> you never know. You never He'll know. pop up one day. He'll listen to this podcast and go, I remember her. <laughs> I doubt it. And he would point at the at the at the blackboard and tell me what to write down and what to copy. And it was all in Hebrew. And I knew like three words. I knew like hello and train. That's it. I spent a lot of time in the play therapist office because I was so discombobulated and yeah. couldn't figure out what was going on. But once I adapted much more quickly than my parents, because my parents were, you know, they're trying to figure out what, how to work and what to, how to speak the language. And, you know, the older you are, the more difficult it is for you to learn a language. So it's interesting to kind of reflect back and see them as humans rather than as my parents. Yeah. And, um, and, think wow that was a really big undertaking to move a, sm- a young family to a completely Massive. different country that don't speak english that don't speak english yeah. um but the, you know the settlement where where they started off with it was all english speaking people okay. so that was a little bit easier but in terms of i so i was the first child that was actually that was able to interact with the culture itself wow. right so there's a lot of different that changes the dynamic in a family because suddenly i'm the one who's advocating for my parents i'm the one who is able to translate between the yep. two different cultures that you know there's a lot of interesting things that came out of that it's pretty cool though when you think about like at such a young age, you take like a leadership role because you're the only one that understands what other people are saying. And Depends on how you define leadership. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, that one. <laughs> yeah, very good point. So then you went to school in in, yeah. uh, in Israel. And then what yeah. about university? Did you do university? Yeah, yeah. So I um, – I, so my grandfather was the first uh, Jewish pediatrician in Ottawa. And okay. So he was uh, he was the pediatrician for the prime minister at the time of Canada. Wow! Very very well respected. Yeah. Um, I come from a very very large like my family in Ottawa and in Toronto, very very big family. And um, I, you know, you have what are your options? <laughs> you can, of course, doctor, lawyer, <laughs> psychologist. But my parents were actually very different, and they were very much like you do whatever you feel is going to make you happy, and you follow your you know follow your bliss not type a bad thing. Way to live. Uh, it is and it isn't. <laughs> well, it's not a bad attitude to have towards your children. No, I think I, I think, think that's that bad, that's more no, about the way to live. I am I I, I have that I have that exact attitude towards my kids. That's fantastic. Yeah, is the fact that whatever you're good at and whatever mm. you really want to do, as long as you're happy, as long as you try your hardest, as long as you're kind to people, that's yeah. All that it's my parents' 50th anniversary this year. Oh, congratulations. Thank That's you. amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I'm actually flying back in a, um, at the beginning of August, and we're all going to Greece together as a, oh, nice. as a family, which is going to be interesting. But my siblings and I, <laughs> my siblings I and I, there are four of us. Yeah. And my siblings and I, um, we were talking about what do we want to gift our parents, which I can't tell you because my parents are probably going to listen to this. And, yeah. But one of the things we were thinking about I is- I hope they <laughs> enjoyed it though when they see it. It was amazing. She whispered it to me. No. <laughs> Um, but we were thinking about what are some of the gifts that well, like, what are some of the teachings that we got from our, from our parents? Yeah. And I think that one of the greatest gifts that I feel that my parents have been able to give me is, um, the confidence to be able to go and explore and follow my curiosity. Um, and to know that I always have a home no matter where I am in the world. And that's something that they continuously reinforced that's for me. <laughs> oh, because I've got four kids. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I can see, oh, hopefully see my kids saying the same sort of stuff because that's a very similar way that we live. Mm. And that's my 22nd wedding anniversary this weekend. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, she's, she's a lucky girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you look at it, like in, in 20, 30 years' time, I hope my kids are saying the same sort of stuff yeah. because that's like a lot of people don't say that sort of stuff about their parents and no. um, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, thank you. I f- I do. I feel very. Um, I feel very. Uh, I I'm very very close to my family. Yeah, which is which makes it really difficult to live on the other side of the world. It yeah, it does. Yeah, we did ten years in London. Yeah, and um, we had two kids there and on our own, and like we had lots of we called our London family, like friends yeah. and family and stuff. But uh, yeah, none of our actual close family. Yeah, they're all back here in in Australia, and uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, and when you're away from them for so long, and yeah. But the thing is, you're making a difference in the world. You're doing what you want to do, and you're doing what they taught you how to do. Yeah, so I, I definitely, it's definitely something that is a continuous thought in my head around what is the price of what I'm doing, yeah, and whether the price is worth it. If I value family above everything, then really I should be closer to my family. But I'm not sure that I would want to live in Israel, even though I love the country. Yeah, um, there are a lot of things that I'm really passionate about, and and I'm able to potentially have more opportunity to be able to do them here. And I really appreciate the freedom that Australia be able to, it has that provided. Illusion. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's not going to happen. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've you gone to university. Where we go next? Did you, get, did you right. work in Israel? No. So, okay, yeah. So oh, You went back to Ottawa? So I was supposed to be a genetic engineer. Genetic engineer? Yeah. So I didn't, I, I was really, I was always really, What's really. A genetic engineer mm, do? Yeah. Clones people? Yeah. Have was, you watched All From Black? Yeah, no. See. <laughs> I'm freaking out. <laughs> I was always fascinated. So uh, we grew up on like, do you know who Gerald Durrell is? He was a zoologist. Okay. And we grew up reading his books. And my sister Tamara and I, we, we were like, we want to be zoologists. We want to work in biology. And I was really always fascinated with ecosystems and with nature and how... Um, everything is interconnected and how, and, and you overlie that I've been a systems thinker since I was very young. So I was like, okay, I don't want to be a doctor. I think I want to do genetic engineering because that seems like something that's really interesting. So my grandfather, of course, he's all excited about this. And he like, (laughs) he goes and arranges a meeting with the head of the genetics department at a very prestigious university. And (laughs) And how old are you? Like 18? (laughs) I think I was maybe 20 yeah. at the time and, uh, and I'm very, you thanks, know, granddad. thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm the, I'm the oldest grandchild. So okay. I have this, I also live in between, I'm the eldest and, yeah. and there's, you know, there's five and a half years between each one of my siblings and myself. Oh, okay. So I was like the one who took care of my siblings. So yeah. I'm an adult, not an adult. Right. <laughs> anyway. So I know how to interact with adults at this point. It's a little bit. I might not know how to adult, but I know how to interact with adults. <laughs> how to talk to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I apparently impressed this, um, this head of the department and he's talking to my grandfather about future plans for me and Duke university and this and that. And I'm like, I went home and I thought about it and like, I am going to break something in the lab and somehow create monster that is going to decimate all of humanity. I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> See the confidence from that. So instead, um, I went, uh, I went, I flew back to Canada. So I was in Israel, I flew back to Canada and, um, I wandered around. I actually, I, uh, I bartended for a while at this pub that's called the glue pot pub, which was, glue pot yeah, pub. 
oh my god my grandmother if she was still alive she was like the most proper person you will ever meet and she came she was so proud of me and she came to like she came to the glue pot pub and the glue pot pub was above a strip club above a strip club <laughs> or below a strip club below. it was a below a strip club yeah. And it was where all the government workers would come after work. <laughs> and on Wednesdays, which was like Welfare Wednesday, um, you would have um, all of the... There was like the Wild Side Bar. My grandmother came on a Wednesday to nice. see me at work. It was yeah. just a little much, yeah. Um, she was still proud of you. She was very proud of me. She was a bit disgusted, but really proud. <laughs> she was always... She always. She was always a little bit like, I think you're <laughs> But I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Um, anyway, so then I, through different ramblings, I, um, I discovered, um, I was actually in Colorado at a bluegrass festival, hanging out with these group of people that were very high on some kind of drug and they were dragging this couch around with them, this red velvet couch. I will never forget this. And, um, we were, I, I, I've actually never done drugs in my life and I have no interest in doing yeah. them at all. But it's always very entertaining watching people. Watching people, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly. So they dragged this velvet couch everywhere with them and I went on an adventure with them because I'm always like, yeah, sounds good, let's go. And uh, we dragged this couch into the middle of a river and um, <laughs> and they were taking pictures with this couch and we're all sitting in the middle of the river, like in the middle, you know, like rock bank and gushing water around they had to carry this couch on their shoulders in order to get this. Anyway, we're sitting there and we're having like a deep and meaningful conversation in the middle of the river. And I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out what I should do with my life. And this guy's like, you know, you like the outdoors. I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know, there's a course that's called outdoor recreation management. I'm like, what, what is this? What is this thing? So a little bit difficult to get a, you know, a sound conversation out of this person who's <laughs> altered state of being. Um, but after this whole thing ended, I actually went home and I, started finding out more about this. And I was like, this is what I want to do. So I, um, I went back to Israel, closed up things in Israel. And then I flew back to Canada and I moved to Vancouver, um, to try and be accepted into this program that was called outdoor recreation management, which was a two year, um, diploma program. Very, very like a university or more like a TAFE college here? Um, no, it was, it was, no, it was TAFE. It was like like in Canada, the system is a little bit different. So it's, um, it was, I guess it would be, equivalent to university here. Okay. Um, so it was a two-year program, very, very difficult to get into. I had no idea about this. I, I'm I'm like, I don't know, I'm going to, I'll jump and see what happens. I'll figure I'm it out. You on a red couch, <laughs> told me I had to be here. I had to be here, so I'm here. <laughs> so they, there was like an acceptance exam, right? And um, apparently there's 200 applicants at this, at the time. It's, it's still going this course and they only accept 30. Wow. So in the interview, I never forget this, in the interview, I sit down with this woman and she's like, so tell me, why is it that you want, you think that we should accept you into this program? I'm like, because I have flew halfway across the world to be into this program? Because I'm me? What do you mean? <laughs> I don't understand. That's a stupid question. <laughs> a stupid question. Because I rock? <laughs> she appreciate your answer. Yes, that and I did. <laughs> you had to draw a picture. I don't remember all of this, but you had to draw a picture of uh, like a representing something. So I was obsessed with it. In, in Israel, one of the cultural things that you grew up with is the little prince, the story of the little prince. Okay. Yeah. So I drew a picture of the little prince and that was my, this is my interview. Here you go. <laughs> <type thing. laughs> anyway, so I, I, um, I did two, I actually did three years because I did, I decided that I wanted to do, I'd never studied in English before. So I wanted to kind of prepare myself to being able to think differently because, you know, you study in Hebrew and then you go to move to study in English. It's a different, 
was interesting, yeah. Your parents still speaking English when you were at home? Yeah, my parents were insistent that we maintain our English when we were okay. in Israel. So yeah. we speak English at home, aside from one sister that we speak Hebrew to each other, but English to everybody else. It's very confusing. Okay. And she's the one you liked better than the others? Or, <laughs> well, she's, or not? <laughs> no, she's my, she, there's myself, uh, two other sisters, and my baby brother. Yeah. And uh, I think that it was just because it was just the two of us at the time. And oh, okay. I think that, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> it's just something that happened. It's just something. And then, I mean, now we have nieces and nephews and, yeah. you know, we speak English to them in Hebrew. Anyway. How old your brother? Just a matter of interest. My brother is 28. I love the fact you still call him my little baby brother. <laughs> don't, don't tell him that. <laughs> I do. I, I think it's awesome because I know my little fella, he'll be exactly the same. Like, yeah. No matter how old he is, the poor thing is going to be called, yeah, he's the baby brother. Well, he's have, the little one. Or... I actually have a baby sister and a baby brother. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm very, very close to all of them. Yeah. I speak to them on a regular basis. And my yeah, my brother is still my baby brother, even though he's probably more he's probably it. more mature than me in a lot <laughs> well, of ways. Well, that's nothing wrong with that. No, all of them really are more mature yeah. than me. Um, anyway, so yeah, so I did outdoor rec, um, and the prep year that I did for outdoor rec, I actually took skiing because I'd never skied before. Okay, never seen snow As a before. Course? Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. Outdoor rec was very interesting. That'd be cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's actually like there's actually you know there's a lot to learn. Like you have to learn the techniques of rock climbing. You have to learn the techniques of sea kayaking. You okay. have to learn like, and then you have to learn how to read a map, and then you have to learn how to plan properly, and then you have to learn how to guide people and how to you know safety and a whole bunch of different stuff like that. So um, so I did a prep, and I wanted to, I knew that skiing was part of outdoor rec. I'd never done never skied before because yeah. I left you know when I left Canada, I don't remember being on skis. And uh, I was like, I've never, I went to the, I went up to the instructors. I was like, I've never been on snow before. Do you think I'm going to be okay? And they're like, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> so like, I remember the first time and they give me the skis. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed where, to do? Where do these go? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? I failed skiing. Did you? Well, it's the only course I've ever failed in my life. Well, did you hurt yourself though? Hurt my pride. At least you didn't break anything. No. Um, yeah, and then after that, I um, so when I graduated from that, I I got a uh, an offer um, in South Africa. So I moved to South Africa, and I ended up uh, living in Africa for three and a half years. Wow, where in Africa? Uh, in South Africa and in Zanzibar. It's amazing. Hmm. It's an amazing part of the world. It is. Yes, yes, it's very beautiful. And what did you do in Zanzibar? Uh, I was the queen of an island. <laughs> <laughs> I did this outdoor rec course and I became the queen. <laughs> it was a really, it was a really cool course. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I did a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I started, the reason I went to Zanzibar because at the time I was working as a sea kayaking instructor and I met this guy who knew another person who owned one of the small islands just off of the main island of Zanzibar. Okay. And he was looking for someone to start um, a sea kayaking company and, uh, and a mini resort on that island. So I accepted and I flew over to Zanzibar, spoke no Swahili, and I was put on an island with five guys who spoke only Swahili. It was fun. It's like a pattern. Have you, have you sat back and realized what? this pattern yet? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> let's speak a language. Actually, let's move somewhere where they don't speak the language and then let's, let's just do that all over again. <laughs> well, at least they spoke English in Australia. Yeah, good point. Although we speak Australian, mate. We speak Australian, mate. <laughs> Australian. And so the Swahili, can you speak Swahili now? Um, I probably still understand it. I used to okay. dream in Swahili. I did speak it fluently. You dreamt in Swahili? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is that because you were there for so long or? Probably. Okay. Yeah. It's an interesting concept, I suppose, because people talk 
in that language about those things. Yeah. So when you picture those things, you picture them in that language. Some sometimes someone told me that once that you can find out what language your strongest is strongest in when you count. So whatever number you count in, whatever language you count in is the language that is like the strongest in your mind. That's interesting. Mm. So I can speak four languages in numbers up to ten. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say count, because like French and German and those sort of things, because yeah. that's what you learn at school. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when we traveled around Europe, it's like, I can speak this language. <laughs> or I can also say, um, I can't actually speak your language. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so yeah, no, so really good, things to learn. <laughs> exactly. really good things to learn in school. Yeah. <laughs> so, how long you were in there, Swahili, for three and a half years? Yep. And then you came, where'd you go then? Uh, I went back to Canada. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, I went back to Israel. Um, I stayed in Israel for a bit and then I went back to Vancouver. Okay. And that's where I ended up staying for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I did a whole bunch of different stuff there. I worked mainly in community economic development. Moved away from working in the outdoors. Always was fascinated with organizations and um, seeing organizations as a, a living entity and taking the systems thinking approach. Um, really being able to figure out. I always found it really interesting how organizations um, interact with change. And... Um, looking at how to create change in a more sustainable way that is more um, holistic and systems in its approach, if that makes sense. It does make a lot of sense, yeah. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I, so I did a whole bunch of different stuff. I had a consulting company there. That's where you became an entrepreneur, do you think? Or you've always been entrepreneurial? Uh, I've always been entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. but so there I started a, um, a, a company for women in the outdoors that was not successful. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point I was working in community economic development, which is amazing, but also very, very difficult to see changes in the long term. Okay. So it's kind of like watching paint dry. <laughs> it's, <laughs> is it there yet? Is it there yet? You're, you're, you're planting seeds that have to do with, you know, community economic development is essentially being able to identify the assets within a community and being able to, you know, the, the saying of teach a person how to fish rather than give them yeah. fish. So it's building on the resilience, it's building on resilience and um, economic diversity within an, within a community. So a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd work with organizations or with communities where um, it's like, okay, we have funding for you around this. And they're like, that's great, but there are no organizations. So we had to um, figure out how to build organizations from scratch and how to build the capacity of someone to be able to understand what it is, what is it to organ- to have an organization? What is it? How do I function as a leader? How do I function as a board? How do I function as how do I hire staff? How do I, mm-hmm. you know, so anything that really had to do with organizational capacity building within communities. So glad you did that outdoor wildlife uh, degree. Well, it all, it all interconnects. So after that, it does, I did. the whole systematic thing that you yeah. were talking about before. And, yeah. and I, know, I know that I said that in jest, but at the same <laughs> time, it actually is a really good thing because a lot of those, those things you do, it's just all businesses like that. Though. Yeah. It's just like, if you follow a patentable, repeatable process, it's, if it's a good one, <laughs> it's going to work. <laughs> if you do it and it's wrong and you keep doing it, you're an idiot. But anyway. Yeah. Um, when did you come to Australia? I came to Australia seven years ago. Seven years. So have you got the itch yet? Yes. You have? I, I've, I have looked at other countries. You know, it's a real thing. Is um, it? It is. The seven years. On my seventh wedding anniversary, I bought my wife a bottle of calamine lotion. Yeah. And which stops the itch, right? <laughs> That's awesome. But the problem is it's the only thing I bought her. <laughs> Not a good idea. Probably not. <laughs> how, the, how were you married? 22 years? <laughs> years? That wasn't the best idea I ever had. I actually thought it was hilarious and she thought it was really funny and then yeah. she's waiting and I'm sitting there going, yeah, this guy. And then 
Oh shit! Uh, it's in the post. I need that arrived. This was pre-internet, right? Yeah, you could still use that yeah, excuse. Yeah, I could still use the yeah. post. Yeah. yeah, but it's um no, it is. They they believe that it's. I think it's five years now, but it used to be seven years. Itch, that mm. after seven years, you start to sort of get a bit jumpy and see where I'm going to be. And yeah, I, I feel that I feel that I've reached a certain stage. My dad is hilarious. My dad, um, he uh, he he would always whenever I get to a big birthday. You know, when I like turn 30, it's like, just wait until you're 35 and then the whole world becomes, you understand everything. <laughs> when you're 40, oh, now you will understand. Anyway, I'm apparently never going to get there. Yeah. Because um, you're supposed to mature at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I'm exactly the same. I, I turned all these numbers, but I didn't stop being Inside. a child. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 25. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How old do you think I am? I act like I'm eight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I do feel that I, I feel that I'm at a certain point in my life where I feel that I'm at a crossroads in terms of, I understand the impact of time now, which I don't think that I understood before. And I understand that, um, you know, that it's, I've always, in my mind, it's always been clear that everything that I do, whether it's working in the outdoors, working, working with indigenous communities in Canada, whether it's working around sustainability, whether it's, you know, teaching entrepreneurship, whether it's, it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, facilitation, a lot of the stuff that I do has been around developing programs, facilitating programs, evaluating programs, creating strategies around programs. It doesn't really matter what the content is. Um, you can, as long as you're like, focused on the values that you want to bring yeah. into the world. Um, so I feel that I feel like time is shorter now and I feel that the impact of decisions is shorter now. So I'm more interested in working on projects that are more aligned with what I'm interested in, what impact I want to bring to the world. Yeah. And the, you know, there's um, the, the aspect of really, I've done a lot of self inquiry around what is it that makes me happy mm -hmm. and what is it that I feel, where do I feel fulfilled and where do I feel like, what are some of the attitudes and what are some of the mental practices and some of the mindset that I have to, in enable in order for me to be able to level up because you're not going to be able to accomplish what your vision is or what your dream is by yeah. who you are right now so you need to be able to have that vision of future tia or future bread and then fucking move really hard in order to be able to get there yeah, exactly. right? and that work. yeah and that requires a lot of um a lot of uh of faith and and um a lot of Talking to your inner child. It is, yeah. <laughs> and saying and it's going to be okay. That's what entrepreneurialism is, though, isn't it? I, yeah, I, I mean, that's an interesting question. Because I think you have to back yourself to do that, but you're also going to work. Like, people say, you're so lucky. You're so lucky you did that. Or did, no, I'm not lucky. I worked my ass off yeah. to get to here or, I got, or to get there or fail that time. And yeah. you don't understand of um, how many times I've actually fucked up. I'm yeah. going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> Um, to actually get to this point right now. Yeah. And I, I love it. You're an overnight success has taken 30 years. Yeah. It's one of those sort of things yeah, that exactly. I find really, really interesting. Yeah. So I feel like the, the project that I'm most interested in working on right now um, is uh, I'm in the process. It's going to take a while and mm -hmm. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of different things along the way. Yeah. Uh, but my, my big vision is to build Australia's first social tech accelerator. Love it. Yeah. Love Do you want it. me to explain what that I'd is? I'd love you to. <laughs> But social tech, what do yeah. you class as social tech? So social tech is not social entrepreneurship. Good. It's not social enterprise. Mm -hmm. Although I'm super supportive of, yeah, of, of that. It's I find that whole aspect really interesting that, oh, look, I am, anyway, I'm wandering around with a t-shirt that says I'm non-for-profit. I don't wander around with a t-shirt that says I make money. Yeah, I, I'm profit for a purpose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so social tech accelerator is um, a, uh, the purpose of it is to be able to build high impact, scalable and repeatable technology companies that are focused on solving complex, wicked 
problems, global problems that are aligned with sustainable development goals. Mm -hmm. So examples of that are um, using virtual reality for uh, to treat post-traumatic stress disorder or um, figuring out some kind of innovative way to connect people uh, in communities that uh, works on alleviating depression. Or there are 17 different sustainable development goals. And within each one of those, those are really, really rich areas for innovation. And I'm interested in more, I'm interested in working with companies that are interested in making some kind of positive impact and that have a very specific understanding of what it means to be a human being in this society and what our responsibility is as a member of the human race. That sounds really big. Why does it take so long to do it? Why can't you just say, that's what I'm going to do and let's do it now? Well, because I need to feed my 16 children and And 14 cats. cats, (laughs) No, I I get that. But at the same time is you're the type of person that can bring people together. You bring communities together. You can bring all that sort of stuff together. I'm working on it, but I also want to do it right. And what I've done in the past in terms of like being aware of patterns is I'll jump off the cliff and I'll kind of put things together as I'm going along. But then I put myself in a position where financially I'm I'm in a very vulnerable place and I'm not willing to do that anymore. Fair enough. So I'm trying to make revenue streams and build this at the same time. And as we know, startup is a wonderful, wonderful land that is full and rich of potential and innovation and exciting blue sky ideas. But realistically, it's also very difficult to be able to make some kind of sustainable income with that. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. And yeah. people sell everything, get rid of everything, then go broke. Yeah. And so, so I'm, I'm, I've been there, not yeah, interested in doing as that. As we all again. have. Yeah. yeah. So I do, I'm very, very fortunate. I've spoken to quite a few. It's called Interwoven, by the way. Interwoven. Yeah. I love it. Interwovenhq.com. So I'd, the way. Um, I'd love to get involved. Love to help you as much Thank as you. possible. That's something that I think if you put all these really smart people in the same place yeah. to do the same thing to create an unbelievable outcome. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Yeah. And make money off it as well, obviously. Yeah. But then use that money for good causes or, or to feed your 16 cats and your but 15 yes, children. Yes, and, and for eagles. And the eagles. Yeah. Yeah, both, <laughs> the eagles have arrived. So you host a thing, and I, I mentioned to you before we, we sort of started recording yeah. that I've done a lot of this sort of stuff. I do. This is my passion project. I, yeah. I love doing this sort of stuff and yeah. telling stories and hearing people's stories. And so I've spoke on stage a fair bit and all that sort of stuff, and I had the pleasure of speaking at one of your nights, which, which was called, fantastic. Which is my favorite word in, in the English language is fuck. So <laughs> I really loved the fact that it was called fuck up nights. Yeah. And it's the only time I've ever been nervous. Um, standing up on stage in front of probably, I don't know, 100 people or however many were there. It wasn't yeah. that big a crowd, but everyone's just looking at you, <laughs> waiting for you to tell them how much you've fucked up. Yeah. How did you get involved in this? What Can you explain to the guys what this is? Yeah, so Fuck Up Night is a global movement that happens in about, I think it's 246 different cities around the world. Uh, It was started by four guys in Mexico in 2012, and it's now really blossomed and and grown. They also have um, a a whole company that's called the Failure Institute that actually measures how people fail, how companies fail and where they fail. So there's actually a lot of... That's really cool. Yeah, it's solid research behind it. So I found out about... So in, in Fuck Up Nights, sorry, in Fuck Up Nights, the purpose of it is to be able to shift the narrative around failure and to understand how important it is within the entrepreneurial journey. I mean, you're a seasoned entrepreneur. You've talked about some of your failures. And a lot of times when we listen to podcasts or when we talk about the entrepreneur, there's all this like, oh my God, it was amazing. I, look at me. Look at, <laughs> look at me. I'm Gary V. And But they don't talk about actually what were some of the massive failures that you had along yeah. the way. And those are the more richer areas where you can actually learn. And those are the, the areas that are more interesting because it's where you have to face yourself. 
And that's where you learn the most about yourself. And it's where you understand more around your shadow side and be able to, you know, move through it in order for you to be able to level up as a person, as a human being and, and, and as a, an entrepreneur. So I found out about it two years ago. I was in Israel checking out the ecosystem there for some stuff that was happening here in Australia. And a friend of mine, Israel is like the ecosystem there is unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, I had a friend who put me into a Facebook group that has to do with like startups and I said I just wrote a post saying hey I'm coming from Australia I'm Israeli I'm coming from Australia to kind of learn a little bit about the ecosystem um love to meet up with people while I'm there I had 65 responses within 10 minutes oh wow and and when I was there I set up meetings and people were just absolutely like I met the the ex-VP of um Intel who now runs like a a investment company I met really 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 high caliber people instantly and I mean, you know, it helps that I speak Hebrew and I know qu- quite course, a few of the people, yeah. but in general, that's the way that the ecosystem works there. So someone told me about this thing that's called fuck up night. I was like, okay, I'll go check it out. And I've checked it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is, <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, if this, you know how you like have the flag that you see. So, um, so yeah, so I, so I decided to bring it back to the Gold Coast. And I remember the first fuck up night that I did, which was actually, you know, Facebook gives you the reminders. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, it was like the first, it was the first fuck up night that I ran on the Gold Coast. A year and a bit ago. Wow. Yeah. The first one was at, um, called in, in Surfers, sorry, in Broad Beach, the Envy Hotel. Oh, yeah. I couldn't find a location. So we heard of the <laughs> I went to the Envy Hotel upstairs yeah. and there were about 40 people that came and I had four amazing speakers. I was really, really fortunate to have some really high caliber speakers. So Michael Metcalf, who now has Kind, the new start, the yeah. startup that is absolutely incredible that has to do with healthcare. Um, I had Navdeep from iYouth. I had, um, he's a good man. I oh, love he's Nav. just, he, he, as yeah. soon as I say the word Nav, I'm like, oh, oh that's great. Yeah, he's a good well. hugger too. He is. He's very good. We take the best selfies together. Every time <laughs> we see each other, we have to take the best selfies. Um, Megan Jarvis, who has started a company called Buzzville. And, uh, who was the, f- I don't remember. There was one more speaker. I'm really sorry if I, oh, Lou, Lou McGregor, uh, who, um, she does a uh, branding strategy. Okay. Yeah. And she was also fantastic. And all four of them, like, I had no idea what I was doing. They had no idea what they were doing. We're like, I don't know. We'll give it a go and see what happens. And it's kind of grown since then. On the 25th of July is the the, the eighth one on the Gold Coast. And that'll be in total. I will have run 10 fuck-up nights. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's at least 30 entrepreneurs that have spoken mm. about their fuck-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's and you, right. Yeah, and the night that I did at the Avenue where you spoke, that yeah. was amazing. That was such a diverse crowd. And you guys were amazing. I really, as I say, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was one of those um, experiences, like I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And then I, I did this graph of how many times I'd <laughs> fucked up. I fucked uh, up the graph. Exactly, I and you did. That was, that was hilarious. <laughs> but the best bit about that whole thing was at the end we did the Q&A. Yeah. And I've gone through some of the, I do my Inspire Daily on, on uh, Instagram. Yeah. And, um, and don't be a dick is my favorite. Yeah. And behind us when we did the, <laughs> did, when we did the uh, Q and A was the big tapestry of don't be a dick. Yeah. And that, that made my night. That was awesome. I really, yeah. really liked that <laughs> it, because it's one of the, one of the, 
most true statement. Yeah, that's is true. Just be kind. Don't be exactly. A dick. You don't exactly. have to show off your six pack or whatever. I don't care. No, no. Just enjoy life. Yeah. But but fuck up nights. I think is a wonderful thing. Um, I think it's a, a great way for people to learn. Yeah. And it is a. You said before you weren't an educator, you're a facilitator. But you are. You you educate the facilitate. Facilitate to educate. The there you go. Sure. I think that you know sometimes I get stumbled on words. Yeah, I think no, the intention. My the thing that I'm really passionate about is being able to create a hot like I call them whale moments, and I yeah. think we talked about this Mm. and a whale moment is when you go and see a whale and you it suddenly brings people together it It does it totally brings people back to the most basic sense of awe and wonder and that is a common thread that we all have no matter what race what religion it doesn't matter and that is those moments are moments where we can create is so much more common ground which leads to a more kind compassionate and gentle human being and society because you know if i can see you and me and you can see me and you then it's it's a better world it is, no, that was cool. so hippie <laughs> but it's so cool like a whale moment i love it Thanks. i love it okay quick fire questions favorite food mangoes favorite song I can't answer that. I have you can. no. Come I on. I am very blessed to have amazing musos in my life right now, and I just. Uh, What's the last song you listened to then? Love Healing by Kate Leopold by Leopold's Treat, which is a local band here on the Gold Coast, and they're incredible. Leopold's Treat. Yes. Okay. Are they on Spotify? Yes, they are. Oh, I'll listen to that when I finish. Yeah. Uh, favorite place in the world? I've been to many. Okay. <laughs> There are lots of beautiful places. Maybe a little island off Swahili. <laughs> off Zanzibar. <laughs> Zanzibar, because they speak Swahili. Yeah. Um, uh, most favourite place in the world? Yeah. Are you talking geographically? or I do. When someone says, where is the, where, if you could be anywhere right this minute, other than obviously in the room with me, where would you be? Where would you want to be? I, that's find it really hard to answer. I love living on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Love waking up in the morning, have, being blessed to be able to cross the road and go to the beach and seeing the ocean. And I think that we live in such a beautiful space. And recently I went um, to Girwin National Park for my birthday and spent like three days. Just thank you. Happy birthday to you too. You um, and just amazing, amazing open space and amazing country. But I've also been, I mean, it is a beautiful country and there's so much to see. It's yeah. crazy. You know, Namibia is like one of the most beautiful places in the world. Mm. South Africa is amazing. Zanzibar is amazing. Israel is very, very beautiful. I don't know. Canada. F- fuck, it's like, I can't answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> Home is where my heart is. <laughs> oh, there we go. Home is where you're standing at the time. Exactly. So what's next for Tia? Uh, two things. Mm. One, I'm going to focus on weaving interwoven into life. Love it. Oh. Hey, that's deep. See what you did there. That's very deep. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm also, I'm, I have a couple of projects that I can't really talk about right now, but okay. that are, um, that all involve building more of the, the, uh, innovation ecosystem within the Gold Coast in, in Queensland. So that's really cool. Um, I'm going back to Israel for two, for two months. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to go spend some time with my nieces and nephews and with my awesome. Catch parents. Up with family. Yeah. And obviously. 50th wedding anniversary. Seriously. How good's that? Yeah. I actually got my uh, father-in-law, it was two years ago, their 50th, and I bought him a medal and, and I got this medal made. <laughs> Congratulations on putting up with it for 50 years. Oh, that's a really and he good has idea, a actually. pride of place on his bench. <laughs> Great idea. I might do that. Yeah, I'm, I want to create. I want to create T-shirts for my whole family because it's gonna be. There's gonna be 18 of us. We're all going to Greece for ten, day, for ten yeah, days. For ten days. 
So one of my sisters is like, no t-shirts. I'm like, yes, t-shirts, you're going to wear. T-shirts are happening. <laughs> t-shirts are happening. <laughs> um, so yeah, so and while I'm in Israel, I'm going to make some more connections with some of the social tech accelerators that are there because Australia is the only country that does not actually have a social tech accelerator. Not yet. Not yet. Interwoven. Interwoven. Love it. So yeah, thanks so much for coming along. Thanks, I really Fred. think you are an awesome human. Thank and you. <laughs> I love hearing your story. I love talking to you. So we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. I think you're an awesome human. Thank you very much. Yeah, look at all the awesome stuff you're doing. And like the, the stickers. Good you can... to the studio and the stickers. They have a sticker of the Smurfs. I am happy. You're happy? That's great. I'm glad I could make you happy. Mm. All you need is like the Care Bears and we're good. Well, probably in the bag there. You're about to dip your hand in to put a sticker on the yes. table. Love it. Thanks to you. Thanks, Brett. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Hey guys, thanks for listening and what an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macca and look out for more Meteorate Podcasts.